What is good, everybody? My name is Tim Karen. This is the Performance Health Podcast. We're on web show number five, Health Testing with Eric Schmidt. Myself and Corey Hobbs talked a lot about the long-term ramifications of the things we're doing from a training perspective and things we should be thinking about short-term to best facilitate not only performance, but also the athlete's health. Then Eric and I talked about, hey, what should we be thinking about from a testing perspective, as well as how should we monitor things on a regular basis in season, off season? A lot of really interesting talking points from Coach Schmidt. I think this is going to be an amazing episode that you're really going to enjoy. And I know you're probably thinking, what do I need to learn about health testing? We're going to prove that notion wrong. Check out this web show as well as all the notes, all of the transcripts, everything that went into this episode at phpodcast.com. Become a member now and you get access to not only this web show, all of our web shows, and all of our entire curriculum, which is 50 modules, probably one of the most comprehensive, in-depth curriculums on the market, bar none, phpodcast.com. Let's hit it. If you're listening to this podcast, that probably means you were a strength coach or want to be a strength coach. And man, do I have the resource for you. It's called How to Become a Strength Coach, Periodizing Your Career in Strength Conditioning. This is your start to finish seminal resource to get you to becoming the best possible strength coach you can ever be. You can get your copy along with access to our course at phpodcast.com. This is a must-have for any strength conditioning coach or any aspiring strength conditioning coach out there. It will not only give you a step-by-step -step tutorial on how to become a strength coach, it will help you optimize your career every step of the way. Absolute must-have. If you like this podcast, get the book. All right, Tim, we got health testing this week, starting a new module. What What is health testing in your mind and what do we need to know? Yeah, the context matters, right? We, we, we have to th talk about the idea of when we look at working with athletes or general populations or young people that we have a responsibility, and I mean this, I really do, to prioritize people's health above everything. The perspective is, okay, you're a strength conditioning coach, you're a performance coach, you're going to help me get to something that will have a higher probability of either making more money or playing a little bit more in sports or looking a certain way or doing a certain thing in this more general setting. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I have a obligation and a responsibility to do what's right long-term for this client or athlete, which creates this like potentially like fork in the road of what to do and why you should do it. The simple answer here is when we look at all the decisions we're making from a training perspective, it's going to have some sort of net impact on their system, their immune system, their endocrine system, their cardiovascular system, their nervous system, their muscular system. It's going to have some impact. And we're going to do that through the means of stress, right? Whether it's physical stress, i.e. like moving and doing a certain duration at a certain intensity or rate, or it's going to come in the form of adjusting their energy uh, intake, whether it's going to be a surplus or deficit. And you look at that from, that's going to have a residual in terms of emotional stress, right? So people have to adjust their, their physical activity and their diet. They're going to have an emotional response from that, right? That people are going to be resistant up front to this idea of you hey, have toggling up or down in terms of calories or macronutrients or amount of volume or duration or intensity, which we do something. 
And then it goes into this, you know, this other aspect of the psychological stress, which we're going to go through the test that we can kind of like start to see these impacts. But you're thinking in terms of my prescription is going to come down to some sort of physical, some sort of emotional, some sort of psychological stress. And that's going to have a, res- a residual or concentric circle leading into certain impacts on certain tests. And when you're, you're really trying to evaluate, you know, what is your job here, right? Like my job with my athletes and clients is this. It's doing what's needed while still accommodating what they want. And I'm going to say that again. It's doing what is needed while still accommodating what they want. So I want to lose weight. I want to run faster. These are all really important things for people. But at the other end, being a professional, being a strength conditioning coach, with now understanding the consequences that could happen from doing contraindicated things or doing illogical, reckless things, then I have a moral obligation, not even just a moral obligation, actually a a literal obligation to do what's needed, right? So when we look at health testing, you're going to get a better barometer of what is needed, right? You're not just going to feed into what they want, right? I want to lose weight. Okay, I'm going to starve you and I'm going to just make you do these circuits to you to you physically break, regardless of what their physical level or their emotional level or their psychological level is, right? If we see that they're tanked in these completely important metrics and we start to just throw them into the fire or the deep end and saying swim and survive and they physically break, that is you and you're culpable and you're liable for doing something reckless and dangerous, right? We talked about this in our coaching module this idea of negligence versus ignorance. That negligence comes in the form of I know, but I still did. And ignorance comes in the form of I know, I don't know, and I still do, right? But the reality is, is one's not better than the other. Like we can look at it from, I have a knowledge of what could potentially happen if I do something contraindicated and I still do something that's contraindicated. I'm negligent and that's really bad, right? We know that. I don't have the knowledge of, what are the consequences? And I still do. Maybe I'm not as culpable, but on the other note, we can go into this context of, well, if I don't have at least a baseline understanding and knowledge of what is potentially bad or contraindicated, well, then everyone loses. Coach, client, you're not going to retain them. The athlete's not going to buy into what you're saying. You're not going to have the validation and the confidence to know that you're doing what's right. So I'm going to go back to that big line of you're going to accommodate what they want and you're going to do what they need and you're going to use baseline health testing to find that out. And we have a lot of different conversations about movement screens or blood panels or other physiological testing or body compositional testing. And those all kind of determine you know, what is needed and you use that as your foundation. But for this context, we want to talk about basic health testing and top of the line, we got to go right into blood pressure, which is often the, the most, I guess, misunderstood or the, I guess, most overlooked because it's such a common part of basic physicals, right? So if you're in a hospital, if you ever have to have surgery or something, they're going to get your blood test. I mean, your blood pressure every hour on the hour. If you go and get a basic physical for whatever reason to check the box to play high school sports or, or your annual physical as you when you're past 40. And then go blood pressure, check the box. But from a health perspective, it's an incredible diagnostic. It's the pressure of your vascular system, right? Your ability to transport 
oxygen and carbon dioxide at efficient manner. It's the laggard indicator for how your heart functions at a high level. How well does it manage pressure? It's all just pressure, just pressure going throughout your system. And if we look at the systolic and diastolic, if we look at the impact from the contraction and the relaxation phase, and then we look at the the arterial system versus the, the venous system and the impact of, okay, am I delivering oxygen-rich blood? Am I removing carbon, carbon dioxide-rich blood? Am I doing that in a way that facilitates high-level performance? And one of the things that we talk about in that diastolic-systolic kind of range is if I look at the venous return of overly pressurized, that second number, and we see that is exceptionally high, I'm probably going to start to think about what is HRV going to be, right? Because that has a systemic impact on looking at, all right, now I have poor stroke volume, which we're going to talk, we talked about this with Eric in our cardiovascular fitness testing uh, web show, but this idea of VO2 max and the, the oxidative capacity of the whole entire body, the ability to deliver and utilize oxygen in, in a high level, it really comes down to, okay, what is my cardiac output? What's my stroke volume? What's my ability to deliver oxygen-rich blood really comes down to the contractile ability of my heart. And if my heart is beating really fast and I deliver a lot of blood through these excessive beats or these, these pumping mechanism, and that only diffuses amount, a certain amount of oxygen per beat versus if I fill and I have a large ventic- vent- a left ventricular wall filling and I can get a lot of oxygen diffusing into the hemoglobin and that can get delivered to the peripheral. And then we look at the pressure of that system is a lot lower. And then the stress of that system is a lot better. My autonomic nervous system is going to be a lot more improved. So we start to see that manifest potentially into higher HRVs, which is going to be a a different cadence, which we'll talk about here in a second. And then lower resting heart rates or ambient heart rates. All of a sudden, we start to think, okay, like blood pressure is pretty interesting. It's a pretty cool metric. And I think it's sometimes like looked down upon. I think it's sometimes looked down of like, well, we're going to do that in physical or that's just what the hospitals do. So it can't be that good or can't be that pertinent to athletes or clients. And one of the coolest lines from FMS, I think has come out recently is the function of movement screen is the blood pressure of movement. And I thought that was a really interesting analogy. And I think about that of like, isn't that a great like value prop for blood pressure? And if you like function movement screen or not, really is not the point, but a diagnostic to assess your movement capability from, from pain, restriction, and asymmetries is the same as looking at your, your cardiovascular system's pressure and management of that pressure and understanding this is the outcome, right? The FMS doesn't tell us that we have passive active range restrictions or if we have limitations in one joint versus another. What it does tell us is what the, the pre- pretense of what it's going to be like when we move and exercise and what we can or can't do, but the same thing with blood pressure. And if I look at blood pressure and saying, okay, they have a really high systolic diastolic. Okay. Well, they're not delivering enough oxygen rich blood. They're not removing enough CO2. Their body's overly pressurized. They're going to be overreactive in terms of stress. So from in a CNS response to doing something anaerobic where we use a basalva or we use something where we develop more pressure, or if we do a high density of something that we're going to react in a poor way. And we're going to react in a way that maybe inhibits intra-training recovery, meaning that I can't do as many high-quality sets within a session, and inter-recovery, meaning that I can't do as many high-quality training sessions within a microcycle, that matters. It matters quite a bit. 
if we're walking around overly pressurized and we are all, we're probably going to be overly sympathetic dominant and we're probably going to have a high resting heart rate. And one of the other great books, and we'll put this on the notes, the, this idea of West and looking at this um, concept of what determines centurions or long life. And Peter Tia talked about this a little bit in Outlive, but really it's heartbeats, how much energy or calories we're consuming, and then how many breaths we're taking. And they all kind of have this fractal relationship with if I have more beats, I'm going to have a higher pressure and it's going to create more stress on my system and that decreases lifespan. And as Satya would talk about without live, it decreases health span or the quality of my life throughout that entire lifespan. So I'm going to go right off the top with blood pressure. If you're not doing it, you should be doing it yourself as well as with your clients or athletes. And don't take it for granted if it's always really good. It's something that you're doing right. It's a great it's a great indicator that don't screw that up. Don't screw up high blood pressure with, with doing bad training and bad diet and nutrition. The other end, go on to rest your heart rate, right? What do you wake up? What's your heart rate? So if my heart rate is below 55, that's pretty damn good, right? If it's below 50, it's also really good. We see extreme aerobic athletes in the low 40s, right? Like, which we talked about there. Like, being aerobically fit is not bad. Being slow is bad, but being aerobically fit is not bad. And one of the things that we talked about with Eric was this idea of like VO2 max is poorly correlated from going from elite to super elite, right? So if I'm in the 90th percentile of terms of distance running, VO2 max has a less of a less of an impact to get me to this 95th percentile. But most people we work with, most anaerobic athletes we work with, are working in this like 25 to 50th percentile for VO2 max and aerobic capacity. And the same thing when we look at resting heart rate. It's this idea that a lot of our anaerobic athletes, they probably are overly sympathetic and they're probably going to have a very poor function in terms of waking up at a higher heart rate. And what does that mean? It just means we're working with smaller windows, right? So we talk about heart rate variability last, but one of the things that a higher resting heart rate, so this is the lowest heart rate we'll have in a day, and then we compare that to our highest max heart rate, we just squeeze that window smaller. Right. So we can go the traditional max heart rate would be 220 minus your age. So if I look at it, if I'm 220 and I'm 40, my max heart rate is 180. And I wake up every day and I look at that windows creeping up. So it's like 70. I just decrease that bandwidth to 110 versus let's say that ceiling's fixed and I start to decrease my resting heart rate and I get that to 50. So I've just added a 20 beat per minute window. So now I can work from 110 to 130. And that range in which I can recover with, we just have a larger variability. Go to our, our actual nutrition modules and go through the first module there, variability, determine bandwidth of the system. And it's this idea of like, all right, now I'm working with a larger window to function. So if I want to do really anaerobic work, that basement or that bottom allows me to handle more volume, more intensity, higher frequency, better. If that bottom is moved up, I can't handle that high intensity, high volume, high frequency training as well. So whatever anaerobic adaptations I'm trying to develop are going to be limited by the small window. And then the final aspect is HRV, which is really popular right now. And one of the things that we find with HRV, that for gen pop, that you're going to see more fluctuations from day to day. And this means that essentially we just have less continuity. Now, as we look through elite level athletes, and we start to get to these upper percentiles of heart cardiovascular work or working anaerobically, 
all we're doing is squeezing this window for variability, right? So if I'm working zone four, zone five for practice and training a lot, I'm getting a smaller window I'm working that squeezes down HRV, which makes that number less variance from day to day. And what I mean by that is you're not going to have as much of a leading indicator or as much of an obvious indicator in terms of fluctuations for HRV for elite level athletes that are doing a lot of anaerobic work as you would see for a more gen pop sedentary person. So if we're looking at it from HRV to determine what I'm doing from a training prescription, it's usually where people get hung up on in terms of HRV. Like I don't see much change day to day and it's not really impacting anything or, Hey, I'm pretty locked in Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Thursday, I'm doing my high intensity days. Tuesday, Friday, I'm doing my low intensity days. I don't really have much wiggle room here to adjust, which I talk about in other places in terms of what diminishing returns are and what your contingencies are in terms of lowering volume, lowering intensity, or stopping entirely, or getting more rest and lowering density. And then you get into this context of, well, if HRV isn't really going to influence that, I'm not going to take that change until I get to it. What's the point of tracking HRV? And I would still come back and saying, you're not only looking at that from a day-to-day for novice, gen pop, sedentary folks, you should be looking at that week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year for your more advanced athletes. And that's when you see that spread out look is going to come out to be more important. So the big three for me are going to be blood pressure, resting heart rate, and then HRV. And that leads into now I have a pretty good indication of what their tolerance for anaerobic work is in in a session, what's their ability to recover from one set to the next, what's their ability to recover from one training session to the next, as well as potentially what is their limiting factor from a cardiovascular standpoint, from an autonomic nervous system standpoint, from a cardiovascular standpoint, and potentially an endocrine standpoint, right? If we're overly sympathetic, we start to produce too much catecholamines, we start to produce too much cortisol, and that's going to have a downstream effect on producing less testosterone, less growth hormone less things that I'm going to need to help me recover and repair. Wow. Yeah, you really set the pace there uh, with that foundational level of health testing. And one of the things you said that I really thought was important is about blood pressure just getting glossed over. Like, yeah, we we take it for granted that, you know, for most of us, it's probably pretty good. So we just stop testing it. But like that leaves that room for it to get worse. And the idea that health really does set the foundation, like if you are not healthy. You're not going to play. You're not going to perform. You're not going to be available on game day. So I think that's really important that we hammer that home. Like health does set the foundation. One of the things that you said when we were talking before, there's a reason why the P is little and the the H is big in PH podcast. I thought that was a really good line. So I wanted to touch on uh, performance versus longevity. You kind of hit it on there a little bit. Like you and I have aura rings. Like if my HRV is off, I can absolutely adjust my training, adjust volume. I can do that for myself. But like if I'm in the Olympics, I'm about to compete for a gold medal. That's not necessarily the case. So there, there's kind of a trade-off there, performance longevity, in a sense. Do you have anything you'd add to that? Yeah. I mean, how much money's involved? Right? So the perfect example would be an NFL offensive lineman. It's not healthy to be 300 pounds, but you can make a lot of money. Right? Ken Caminiti for the San Diego Padres said, I take steroids to hit more home runs to make more money. And he died at a very young age. Now, this is a, this is a really hard conversation for TRT. This is a really hard conversation for growth hormone. But there is a consequence from taking these things, these synthetically made stuff or naturally made stuff that's going to impact your ability to produce this stuff on its own. Is the juice worth the squeeze is the big question, right? If I can make millions of dollars for being 350 pounds, 
maybe I want to think about that, right? I, and I, I think we all can know that being 300 pounds is going to have a long-term effect on a lot of things negatively, right? From joints or your, your, or your, your bone and, and tendons and ligaments, your muscular system, your cardiovascular system, your endocrine system. And the longer you're at that body mass, the more it's going to have a bigger impact, right? So if you look at someone who's looking to make generational wealth and have a 10-year NFL career and you're hovering around 300 pounds plus for now 20 years of their life between high school, college, and professional football, they're pretty much set up to have a very low, short lifespan. But is it worth it? And that's for that person to decide, right? Not to mention the physical trauma from playing football. That's a big thing to think about. And if someone were to tell me, like, I can make generational wealth at the expense of my short-term health, I don't know if anyone could say yes or no. And I think that's the part we overly... We overly associate what we're doing recreationally or for personal health with making short-term sacrifices which don't have necessarily a monetary outcome. And I would argue potentially, hopefully, with those 300-pound guys that if I can get their lean body mass above 265, which means that pretty much 85% of their body mass is not fat that their systems will function a lot better. Now, granted, it's still excessive. If we go back to West and looking at heartbeats, body temperature or calories, and then breaths, all of their heart rate, all of their body mass, and then, I mean, are their body temperature or their calories they expend, as well as their breaths are going to go up. It's just more metabolically expensive to be that big. And it's going to come in a cost from lifespan and longevity. But on the other end, it goes into this dynamic of, you know, if I can find a way to make them healthier in light of that body mass or this short-term sacrifice, I'm going to do that every single time. And I would always come back to the gen pop person. Like, do you serve to make millions of dollars? Are you really concerned about like this idea of like, is this worth whatever it is? And like, it's this anecdotal, but I'm 42 and I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And when they go to college, I'll be in this quote unquote now early retirement phase what is my function going to be? How many high operational 60-year-olds do you know? How many high operational 50-year-olds do you know? And then it gets into this thing of like, okay, well, I've been doing advanced strength training for a long period of time. I'm doing a lot of aggressive anaerobic work for a long period of time. I need to be very conscientious of what my blood pressure, my resting heart rate, my HRV is. Because when I get to that point, it's either I'm going to be a facilitator for them taking the next step in their life. and starting going to college, getting a job, starting a family, or I'm going to be a liability and a burden because I didn't take the care of myself now. And that is my ambition to make sure that for them, long-term wise, I am a, a person that facilitates and, and hopes and enriches their life as long as I possibly can. That's my motivation. So I'm doing a ton of zone two work. I'm doing a ton of long duration interval work. I still want to be strong and I still want to be muscular. I still want to have a great aesthetic, but not at the expense of long-term health. And I, I think that's the thing that we always got to evaluate. So when we talk about like what's better, you know, performance or health. Now, if I was going to tell you, Corey, man, I'm going to do this bodybuilding show and I'm going to try to get down to 3% body fat and I'm going to try to be 220 pounds and it's going to kill all of my systems and it's going to make me miserable to be around, but I can make a million dollars. Like, I think you would probably be like, all right, man, like, you know, good luck. I know it's going to be hard, but I can see why versus I'm just doing it for fun 
and I'm going to sacrifice my family. I'm going to just sabotage and commandeer my family's life, right? Like everyone's just going to have to just be miserable around me. I don't know if that's worth it. We all know that being under 3% body fat, just like being above 30% body fat, is probably equally dangerous and equally bad. And that's the things that we look at. Like I could be shredded. I don't necessarily think that is in the best case what I talked about before of, well, hey, I'm going to be a very high-functioning 65-year-old so I can facilitate like, oh, you want me to drive and come see you? Or, hey, you want me to be able to go a hike with you? Or, hey, you want me to help me move into college? Like, can't. I'm in a wheelchair and or I can barely walk upstairs without throwing up. Like, like those are the things I constantly think about. And I look down the road of like, okay, everything I'm doing today is for that. So for one end of the spectrum, like I work with NFL athletes and there's a short-term sacrifice for a really big financial payday. And we're going to have to have conversations about, we're going to get your lean body mass up to as high functioning level to hopefully mitigate any potential damage here. But on the other note, it's worth it. On the other end, it goes, well, what's the point? Like, what's the point of me being 225 pounds? What's the point of me squatting 500 pounds if it doesn't lead into me being a higher functioning capable adult for my kids and that's my motivation but i'm also thinking long term wise what do i need to do to adjust i have another 25 30 years of high functioning high quality life and so to come down to again what we talked about with eric of okay my vo2 max is really poor my wattage per kilogram is really poor i would say that probably should be the focal point and getting my body mass down improving my vo2 max improving things that are really important and relatively speaking, have a longer lifespan, a longer quality, higher quality life. And that's it. And so our context really matters here. I get all the time with clients saying, I really have this very specific goal. And we first two questions I ask is how bad do you want it? And what are you willing to do for it? And when people tell me they really want it, but they start giving me excuses and reasons why they don't want to do something. I can come back and easily say like, you don't really want it. And it, the sacrifice you're willing to make isn't going to be there. Now, if you're going to tell me I really need to do this because I just got diagnosed with diabetes and I'm about to get on, I'm about to get on statins and I'm about to start inject insulin and want to see if I can do this, do this through ways that I have control over of controlling my diet, controlling my supplementation, controlling my exercise. Yeah, I, I definitely think there'll be a high motivation, high willingness to do that. And that's where I really lean in on. Of like, can we fix people on this other end of a lot of bad decisions over a long period of time and try to tap in that motivation? But if someone's like, oh, I'm at 10% body fat, I really want to get down to seven. Like, are you willing to give up alcohol on Friday nights? Are you really, are you willing to give up sweets for the next six weeks? Are you willing to do these cardiovascular circuits that are going to be deplete you of all glycogen? Like, it's hard. It's hard to make these small micro changes at a certain point. And like the willingness to do that and the sacrifice you have to make are pretty high. And then you go, well, I'll just do TRT and I could get shredded without making any of those changes. But at a cost, you're not going to produce testosterone. You're probably going to have to be on it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And there's probably an increased risk of prostate cancer and a lot of liver function stuff and a lot of stuff that you have to be conscientious of. And like there is an element that is it really worth going 10 to 7%. Like the convenience to be able to eat a brownie or the fun of yelling eat a brownie and still lose body fat. Like, I don't know if it's worth this long-term outcome from being on TRT the rest of your life, personally. And also, you're if you're at 10%, like, chances are you could you have the variability to handle a brownie if you, if you wanted one. Oh, you probably, yeah, definitely. You probably have the, like, you 
probably have the insulin tolerance. I should turn that into glycogen and then hopefully muscle. So yeah, for sure. Like it's, a, but it's also too of like, you probably have the personal discipline to say that you should be able to have that. Like, it's fine. Like you're, you're, it's a reward, so to speak. You've earned it. That's such a good point about body fat percentage. Like it can be too low. And I think that's something that's, that's overlooked and not always understood with gen pops. Like I just want to be shredded three or 4% body fat, but it's, it's not always exactly what it's cracked up to be. So just having that context of what are you training for and what are you willing to trade off for that, I think is so important. So uh, a lot of great talking points, man. Um, fired up to get Eric on here next and go through that. Corey, appreciate you taking the time, man. This is a cool conversation. It's something I'm really passionate about. Yeah, thank you, Tim. I'm really passionate about it too. We had a similar similar journey. I got a four-year-old too and making those same realizations. Like I probably need a little more uh, zone two interval type training. And if I want to be around long-term to do that stuff with him as he ages. Awesome, man. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Tim. If you like what we're talking about here in this podcast, you're definitely going to love this next thing. It's called Strength Deficit, your seminal resource to developing eccentric versus concentric ability with your athletes. We have a book, we have courses, we have everything you need to be able to implement, understand, and be the best strength deficit practitioner you could possibly be. You can get all of these resources at phpodcast.com and you'll become the best, and I mean this, the best possible strength coach in your setting. We're talking health testing. I got my good friend, Eric Schmidt on today. Eric, we do a lot of anaerobic training with athletes. We're talking about health testing. So with that anaerobic stress, what are you thinking about with regards to health and longevity after that actual anaerobic input? Yeah, I think if we look at the systemic impact of like high anaerobic stress for athletes, I'm always thinking of like this acute kind of impact and more of this like chronic impact, which is where we get into like maybe the longevity pieces. But from like an acute standpoint, what I'm thinking about there is just this, if, if, if we take like the, the process of like cell respiration and we kind of break it down and we think about, you know, cause really what we're trying to do with exercise when we say like high anaerobic stress is we're just trying to generate ATP very fast. Right. And so, you know, we have kind of these, these, uh, two different, you know, these different ways of generating ATP. So the first is obviously turning that glucose into pyruvate. And then the second kind of being like taking that pyruvate, entering into the mitochondria and going through that Krebs cycle. So if we're pushing really high outputs, we're using a lot of kind of that, that, that first process of like, we're using a lot of that glycolysis and doing so is, is really going to, you know, you're going to make a lot of lactate and, uh, you know, that lactate really has a couple different routes, one being like shuttling it into kind of the, the slow twitch fibers where it can be um, kind of reuptake for more energy. Um, and the second is kind of released into the blood and the impacts that that has, you know, on, on our acute health being, you know, the, the change in the pH levels, um, just being really, really taxing on our system in that way. And so, you know, basically, if you have poor oxidative efficiency, something we touched on last time, it's just going to put a lot of strain on our energy supply systems. And so when I think about that acute stress, it's like we want to be really efficient oxidatively to be able to manage that, you know, anaerobic process, if you will. So there's that kind of acute lens that I'm thinking about. And then from a chronic lens, like what happens over long periods of time by really taxing these systems, it's like, 
I, that, that leads me to just kind of think about this like CNS fatigue, if you will, which is kind of a, I guess, a nebulous term. But, you know, when you when you think about those byproducts of high intensity exercise that build up, um, you're going to impact the the impulse, the CNS impulses, you know. So just thinking of you're going to make those those motor patterns more um, disrupted. You know, you're going to you're not going to be able to move as effectively, if you will. Uh, you're going to have suppressed outputs your reaction time is going to be lower, those types of things. And just over time, what that leads to is just this, this burnout, you know, this inability to perform. If we just think of like fatigue in general, it's just an inability to do whatever you're trying to do. And so I think there's just this, there's these, these kind of acute impacts and then there's these chronic impacts that are um, kind of at play here when it comes to just really hard charging uh, with just high, you know, high anaerobic exercise, if you will. Well, I have a follow-up question on that. Do you believe that Hans Krebs gets should get as much credit as he gets on the citric acid cycle, considering some would say Rob, Rob Jacobs specifically, that uh, St. George, St. Georgie, I think, uh, is the one who was originally the one who found the cofactors within the mitochondria. How do you feel about Hans Krebs basically stealing the credit for it? <laughs> I mean, Hans Krebs sounds like a thief, man. And yeah, you know, I know. It doesn't, he it, has a very yeah mischievous uh, type of name, you know. Oh, Krebs, what a piece <laughs> of shit, man. <laughs> Sorry for the Krebs family for listening to this. <laughs> yeah, dude, you just yeah you just turned off the entire the entire Krebs the entire Krebs lineage, man. Oh, I know. Hey, hey, I'm calling. We talked about VO2 max is underrated, and I know us our hardcore endurance pundits last mo- last week or last month were probably like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, for you, you're trying to get to this like three hour marathon. For us, is trying to get to a, a, a four hour and twenty five minute marathon. You know, like get off our back, dude. For now on, I'm just calling it the citric acid cycle. That's you what, know, that's what Rob not... told me to do. That's what I'm saying. The citric acid cycle. It's not. It's not the Krebs cycle. Krebs stole it, and he didn't come up with it. So I'm just saying, yeah, CAC, man, CAC. Just keep it simple, man. CAC, ETC. That's it. That's all you need to do. Just it. It works perfectly, man. That's all you need to know about the mitochondria. Don't even worry about the cofactors. Uh, awesome. So um, I want to go back to the question or the the original answer you just gave. It seems like there's a continuum all the times at play, right? There's like this idea of a spectrum of like, we're doing this short term to get this long term. I guess my question off of that would be when we're looking at these, I guess, first order, second order, or this, hey, immediately in front of me is like this input of anaerobic stress. When you're looking at that anaerobic stress, and maybe it's a diminishing returns thing, or maybe it's this other parallel of like, hey, I'm not going to get this performance outcome that I want. How are you looking at from a health testing perspective of what is their preparedness or readiness or what is the aggregate of all this high anaerobic stuff or what test do you look at and how do you kind of, how's that influence your day to day, so to speak, when you're looking at anaerobic stress? Yeah, that's a tough one because I think, you know, meeting the demands of, most of these environments that we're talking about, like if we're talking about like a team sport environment specifically, and just the demands of that environment, I think you need to have the, you know, the ability to, to meet these demands is really your ability to have a ton of, you know, I'll call it aerobic power, but really it's like, it's, it's a ton of anaerobic, uh, you, you need to be able to manage a lot of anaerobic stress, if you will, you need to be able to manage a lot of high intensity exercise 
which is incredibly taxing on your system, right? So first and foremost, you know, I think that's why there's a lot of love into like interval training, like high intensity interval training um, is we've seen, especially in a short term, when you look at like short term effects of high intensity interval training, thinking like Tabata, thinking the Jabalas, the uh, yeah, the Jabala study um, of just like these really, really high, you know, outputs like Supra VO2 max outputs um, seeming to have these really, really effective like ways of basically supporting an athlete's ability or an individual's ability to manage this like this high stress uh, exercise. It's like there's just a lot of, of, of love for that because we see in a short term that you can actually boost your aerobic um, system by training that way. Uh, but what I think about is if you work in most people that work in these environments, they deal with like working with athletes for long periods of time. And so I think there's a you, you need to you need to look at that impact, um, understand that, yes, you can push people like well beyond, you know, uh, these like VO2 max level intensities and get a lot of benefit. But there's a huge cost to that. And I certainly it's not a sustainable strategy, as we know. And so there's just this I'm always thinking about this management process of like, you know, how are we developing kind of the, the systems to to have so that the individuals that we work with, the athletes that we work with, you know, the things that they have to deal with is less strenuous on their system over time versus taking this more of a short term approach and just like really hard charging these like hard intervals all the time, you know? And so I, I think that there's like, there's just impacts to the things that we do, right? So the, the testing that we'll do is certainly going to stress, I guess, all systems, if you will, aerobic, anaerobic, um, whatever terminology we want to talk about here. But ultimately, it's going to stress their ability to generate energy very quickly and recover very quickly. So, um, you know, so that's certainly like going to be in play when we're doing any sort of testing. But ultimately, I'm thinking about, okay, how do we strategize to help meet this, you know, help this person meet the demands? in this sort of like short-term sense. And maybe that does require us to really hard charge and do some of these like hard high intensity intervals, but also like step back a little bit and like strategize over a long period of time and realize that you're, you're really just trying to build these like functional systems to have really large capacities, you know, the lungs, the heart, that cardiovascular system, your muscular system to be able to utilize uh, oxygen efficiently, you know, all those different things are in play here and you really want to try to strategize over a longer period of time to make that more effective. So um, I don't know if that's a too vague or nebulous of an answer there, but ultimately I'm just thinking about like making sure that you're not being short-sighted with your approach based on the results that you receive from some of this testing that you do um, and ultimately just help that person meet those demands, but ultimately like Look, look at things over the long term and be strategic in how you try to develop these systems to be more effective over time. You know, it, it makes me think about this in-season, off-season type of setup or framework. And one of the things I'm, I'm thinking about now is, you know, what do we have control over? What's malleable in terms of training input or input in general? And, you know, as you described, you know, one of the things that testing really does is find these limiting factors. In terms of off-season training, you know, one of the, the areas that I would probably want to get a little deeper dive in is when we're looking at a limiting factor, like poor system here, right? Their aerobic power is really pad or whatever. When are you looking at, hey, I'm going to develop these limiting factors and understanding that there's going to be a short-term consequence to that of like muscle soreness, CNS fatigue, 
et cetera. And how are you assessing or appraising whether this is just a natural, the natural response to training and we need to push through? Or is it, hey, this is maybe too much stress and their health is potentially compromised? You know, how are you assessing that in the off season specifically looking at a lot of the training input is going to be artificially and artificial and more intense than they would probably do in a entire game or game-like sequence. So, you know, walk me through what testing health-wise are you looking at to see the the short-term impacts from a lot of the training that you're doing in the off-season? Man, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it comes down to just first and foremost, like seeing the responses of how they're managing the environment is always what I'm thinking about here. So like if, if we're looking at how they're you know, how are these, how's the athlete responding? Then it's like going through that sort of athlete monitoring cycle. So looking at, you know, obviously the external load of what they're dealing with, thinking about that in relation to their internal load. So that's maybe where we can get into like, what, what metrics are we going to be looking at? Well, the metrics that we look at, I think from an internal load response standpoint are things like, you know, how is their sleep being impacted? Did they get enough sleep? How is their efficiency when they're sleeping? Did they, you know, what, what's the time frame they're actually asleep when they're going to bed? What's their blood pressure like? What's their resting heart rate like? Heart rate variability. I mean, there's a ton of different metrics we can look at to see how these individuals are managing the external load imposed upon them, spe especially in the off season. And this goes into in season as well, but um, especially in the off season. And so just trying to have a pulse on maybe some of those, some of those things, if you're able to measure them, obviously, and if you're ever able to measure them consistently. So those are types, of, those are the types of things that I'm thinking about when it comes to just seeing the response, you know, and then ultimately that manifests into some sort of, of readiness, you know, proxies that we might use to see if this person's actually ready uh, to perform or to play that day, you know, and then I think you tie into like their perceptual well-being, you know, basically looking at how they're coping with, with load, like mentally, um, you know, and so you can get some information from, from that. So there's, a, there's just, a, there's a lot here that you can certainly look at. Um, and I think kind of, it, it always comes down to kind of that, that cycle, that athlete monitoring cycle, and just sort of looking at just, just how they're coping with this, this, uh, this load that's imposed upon them, um, you know, physically. You know, one of the things that you mentioned there, even at the beginning, this, I, this idea of like the chronic impact, where, you know, I want to go into this in-season model and we're kind of building this reverse engineering training or acute stress to get this larger chronic level that we can handle an 82 game season or maybe in college, like a 40 to 50 game season. But the, the part that I find that it's always trickiest, and this is where I'm, hopefully I don't like get you too uh, off, off kilter here, but it's the low minute people. And we're all training them together and we're all training them to get as much of a chronic level. You know, one of the things that I always struggled with was how do you manage the low minute people? And there's a psychological impact here as well, which I'm sure you felt as well. Like the, oh, that guy didn't play a lot of minutes. Let's get him on the bike post game. Well, it's 11 o'clock and probably dejected. He didn't play a lot. I don't think it's therapeutic or beneficial to like make the guy do extra cardiovascular work because he didn't get a lot of minutes. The net doesn't really equate, but that's kind of the logic we're working with is trying to compensate to keep that chronic load where we want it to be. But how do you manage those low minute folks from a, a in-season perspective, whether it's health testing or just other metrics to keep that person moving upward and onward? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's like you brought up some, some great points about, you know, 
what's the best way to keep this person's chronic load up? I don't think it's probably taking them and doing things post game at 11 p.m., that sort of thing. Like that's probably not the best the best strategy. So I think stepping back from that and looking at what systems can you create to help manage um, manage the, the athletes that aren't going to be able to get into games. And there's plenty of stuff that you can do on the front end to be able to at least keep up that chronic load. And I think that comes down to just, again, creating systems that where within your kind of your team, you're able to, to expose them to the similar stressors, you know? And so ultimately like for us, it's like, you're just playing, you're actually getting live play in other ways to help kind of buffer that, you know, but ultimately there's, there's probably more opportunity there for us to do some of this performance testing and to implement, you know, supplemental uh, training to support kind of that keep keeping up that chronic load, if you will. So, but I, yeah, there's, there's just, it, it's a system thing, you know, at that point. Um, so ultimately it's like, there may be testing and evaluation that you want to do just in terms of just helping prescriptive uh, strategies to at least implement this training. And maybe that is utilized with guys that aren't, aren't competing, you know, consistently just to be able to manage, you know, deal with that chronic load. And so what does that look like? That looks like performance testing that looks like a 3015 test, a, a shuttle run beep test, a uh, five minute speed of VO2 max test on a, on a, you know, watt bike, um, an FTP test on a watt bike or a Peloton, like that sort of thing. You're, you're able to maybe get into your bag on utilizing certain testing to then be more prescriptive in your strategies to help implement that just to keep up that chronic load for sure. So, but yeah, it's a systems approach, I think here. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I think to one of the coaches I worked with, and this would be maybe a little off base, but he'd always talk about the ironic thing about study hall is taking the people who don't know how to study and putting them in a room for an extended period of time with the expectation that one day they're going to figure out how to study. And I think a lot about that with like in-season prescription for the low minute or low rep people in football, it's, you know, just do more training with them. Like, well, that's not the limiting factor here. Like, you know, like they can't put the ball in the hoop. You, yeah. know? Like, <laughs> you know, the ironic part is we're doing the thing that they probably should do less of more. Uh, and, you know, football, the same story. It's like, yeah, it could be an argument. That's a raw, just physical output, biomotor game and football. And, getting them stronger but i always feel like a lot of times they perceive this extra work or above is not as as rewarding as you think it is because it's considered punishment in a lot of ways or you're not as good at football i'll see you friday morning and we'll do a 6 a.m lift and invariably some freshman's going to show up late so we're going to just do up downs for 30 minutes um but I, I think that's the those are the conundrums that we're always working with 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 like team sports it's this psychological aspect i just had an intern or a coach leave take a high school job and he feels like he's like i feel like all we do is punish the athletes i'm like they're high school kids what would you expect like they're going to be stupid and make a lot of mistakes like what's the recourse how are you going to get them to do the things that you want them to do without having some sort of consequence or cause and effect relationship from doing something stupid like that's the team world and it's a huge part of it but on the other end it's what do you do when you get to in season and the guy busted his ass all off season you're like yeah, you're just not that good, man. Like we're just gonna reduce the watt bike here, you know. Like, you know, that was always 
that was always the fun part. I remember we do so many trips with basketball because I work with women's basketball and it would be like, they didn't play a lot. I want you to get them up in the morning and do a hotel workout with them. Like, okay, <laughs> like, sure. Like we're going to get three lists next week with them, but that's, yeah, that's, and get them up. Like you make sure you get on the room, like 7am, like get up, we're going to get a workout in. Like, you know, that, that's the stuff that like, it's so hard to talk about with these like general things of talking about health testing or cardiovascular testing, it's, it's the realness of the job. And I think there are a lot of people out there who don't really know that and don't really understand that or appreciate that just yet. And then when they get hit face with that, they realize it's a lot of stuff that it's not as glamorous or as sexy as you would like. But I think as you get through this kind of like transitional point of a large part of your job is doing these things. And you start to find the reward in it and you find like, all right, I'm going to be with this guy standing next to this guy working cardiovascular fitness on a bike for 10 to 20 minutes. I'm going to form a better relationship with that person. And when they're struggling, I, I know how to pick them back up when they're high. I know how to keep that momentum really, really going forward. You know, and I think these are things that are just so monumental skill wise. Uh, so I, I want to kind of go into this next level and this will be something that I, I'm really personally want to find a lot more about and i want to talk directly to our audience here strength conditioning coaches you know I, top of the bat i think would you agree they're probably predominantly unhealthy with the exception of the memphis grizzly staff <laughs> yeah. i think majority of them are very unhealthy probably right? uh yeah I, I mean i guess i would i got it depends on how you define health man i got obviously here Absence of disease, but we can say being 300 pounds, uh, 140 over 100 on your on your blood pressure and a resting heart rate of 90 is is not cutting the muscle for longevity. Yeah. So with that being said, is you know I'm sure you have a lot of friends who are strength conditioning coaches, people that you work with, you know, and I'm sure they all have their good and bad habits. You know, what would be some health testing things that you think we all should universally be doing to hopefully accommodate this really high stress and high turnover and poor hours and low sun, natural sunlight type of job or setting. Yeah, I think it's it's man, it's trying to be more well-rounded for sure, you know. So I think it's it's having a pulse on the important measures of our health and being real about sort of like our I think as a, as an industry our preferences are like heavy strength training, you know, I mean, that's just like, seems more fun say than doing like, you know, low intensity cardiovascular exercise. But, you know, when we actually look at, like you were talking about, if you look at your blood pressure, if you look at your resting heart rate, if you ever measured it and you looked at your VO2 max, those types of things, you might realize that, you know, you are, you're, you're pretty unhealthy metabolically. And that's having a physiological cost on, on just, your system and probably going to impact your longevity for sure. So I think there's just having a, a being well-rounded, you know, I think of being like a well-rounded athlete is ultimately having good strength, good stability, uh, good aerobic efficiency, you know, good anaerobic power, like having like these, just being pretty good in all these different domains, specifically if you're not like competing at something, I think is probably a uh, just a, it's probably a good approach. You're protecting your, you know, you're protecting against the downside of, you know, just being really, really poor in one specific area, you know? So I, I always go back to in general, I would say we need to push more sort of this like 
aerobic efficiency, uh, we really need to probably push more. And like people hate the buzz buzzword of like zone two work right now because it's really popular for whatever reason right now. But it's like, you know, there's a reason that that's probably really popular. It's like it's something that we, we know is very important for our health is going to set us up, you know, long term. And it's probably a it's a it's a overreact. Maybe a, it's a reaction to what most people do with exercise, which is just push really freaking hard, you know, whether that's the strength training side of things or whether that's the cardiovascular, you know, cardiovascular uh, exercise side of things. Like we just tend to push really, really hard, not realizing that this could be actually unhealthy for us in the long run. So I think being able to have a pulse on where you are, you know, in those different kind of general domains there and just be real about trying to like expand your you know your portfolio if you will i think is probably uh, something that we should all take at least take a look at at some point that will start to resonate if you're if i'm talking to my 20 year old self like this doesn't resonate at all but you know i think as as you know we get a little bit older and we start looking at some of the ramifications of our behaviors and thinking like oh all strength training is super healthy for me and then you realize like Oh, but I've neglected like all this like cardiovascular work for 20 years is like, yeah, that's probably not good. You know, now I'm dealing with issues with my sleep or, you know, I'm dealing with, uh, you know, issues with just being able to manage stress. I'm a little bit fatigued at work and things like this start to kind of manifest as you as you kind of get a little bit older here. So I think just having a pulse on those different categories and then realizing that like you probably need to expand your asset allocation a little bit. What was your sleep archetype? Dolphin. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, man, I'm all over the place, to be honest with you. I try to be a dolphin now, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a hybrid guy. <laughs> is dolphin one of them? I think so, man. What is it? So you got the, you got the owl, right? What's the morning one? I can't, I can't even remember now what the, what the different animals were, but. I, for some reason, I'm thinking dolphin because I sleep while float or they sleep while swimming it's like oh yeah yeah yeah. it's like half your brain is awake yeah it's something like that I, if, I read it i can't remember um so i want to finish off here and i did this with rob on blood test um i want to give you some health markers and a number and what would be and you don't know the person you don't know anything else about them but what would be your initial initial thing you would recommend or prescribe them do um i want to knock out five of them if that's okay with you mm, let's do it bmi 30 yeah get your body calm down <laughs> um yeah probably need to get that body calm down a little bit so i would i would say yeah and if you're talking about yourself this is great no no i think i am but yeah yeah well body mass yes but yeah body comp is probably like 13 right now but okay uh blood pressure 135 over 90 all right. Stress management a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Not bad. Okay. Resting heart rate, 65. More zone two work. All right. Look at that. HRV. And here's, I'm struggling on HRV because I see such wild discrepancies on different metrics. Do you use an aura or a whoop? I use an aura. Yeah. I use an aura ring. Okay. You see an HRV 40. <sighs> okay. This is one you're going to, we're going to have to talk about this one because I don't, now I'm more confused with HRV than I ever have been. Clearly, I know it's this autonomic balance metric and there's this sympathetic, you know, parasympathetic kind of response there. But I've seen some crazy stuff with aura rings in terms of like HRV. I don't know how valid, reliable, honestly, that that technology is on the aura ring. Joey Burgles is in the hundreds right now. And I don't know why. 
Yeah. See, like, I don't understand, dude. Mine's in like, I mean, mine's low in general. I think it's like trending. The, the, the trend of the HRV over time is what I'm thinking about more so than like this absolute value now. Cause I've read, I, I haven't dove into this deep, deep, what a Chinese to, but ultimately I've read a shit ton of stuff that's talking about just like, it's the trend. It's not necessarily the metric, you know? So maybe looking at it more in that sense, but we'll say my average three month is 40. Yeah, dude. Okay. Mine's in like the 20. So yeah, we're both, we're both dying, dude. <laughs> we're both. Just- I'm at 55. Hold on. Let me show you. I think I'm 55. Well, today I had a crappy night's sleep. Kids are both sick. Hold on. Let's prove this. Let's go to the, let's go to the tape. Let's go to the test here. I'm 37 today. Don't tell me, show me. Okay. Let's see. Where am I today? <laughs> dude, we're both dying. Look at mine. Wait, yours is blurry. I'm 50. I'm dying, dude. I'm at 20. All right. I'll read it off, but. All right, so trends, 50, 42, 57, 59, 49. So what you're saying is I'm way healthier than you. I mean, if we're cherry-picking metrics, if we're cherry-picking metrics, then yeah. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, (laughs) All right, last one. Body comp, 17, male. Yeah, well, yeah, lose <laughs> lose body fat. Work on your nutrition. Yeah, lose body fat. I mean, if you're if you're a 17 and a male, well, again, this is depends on how you measure it, right? There's going to be some error here, but yeah, 17's a little bit you're pushing a little bit too much. Lose some lose some body fat for sure. Yeah, sweet. Awesome. So, everyone, if you listen to the last 3 minutes of this, you got some really big takeaways, <laughs> very uh, <laughs> very political non-committal answers from Eric. <laughs> Yeah, it depends, man. It always depends. Like I get it. It always depends. Of <laughs> always course. depends. That's the answer, man. You just push the narrative, right? It's all about it's all about sleep, hydration, eating more protein. That's it, man. That <laughs> dudes more zone too. That's all it is, man. That's all you need to do. Um, <laughs> awesome, Eric. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, if you guys want to check out the the entire episode in video form, get, get over phpodcast.com, man. This is a huge huge add-on for any uh, member of the of the curriculum so thanks eric yeah always appreciate it man there was a ton that we unpacked in that episode so from the top understanding that there's got to be at least a conversation about the health of the athletes not at the expense of performance and vice versa if we look at this from the context that if we're developing performance there has to be at least a conversation about what is the immediate and long-term impacts on health. Things like heart rate, heart rate variability, blood pressure, very simple, easy diagnostics we can use to see doing overly anaerobic exercise or gaining a ton of body mass or maybe potentially being at a very low body mass. All these things have a residual impact that we need to at least appreciate. There's some sort of direct or indirect impact on health. And then with Eric, you know, he just really broke it down, right? This idea of using testing and understanding that short-term, long-term, having at least a conversation on global versus localized metrics of health and performance are all really important parts of the equation. And he said it very eloquently, a strength coach's job is to deliver an outcome that leads to better performance. And very simply, 
health is a part of that. So really a lot of great take-homes. I hope you guys enjoyed this. This is a monster episode that if we can get a little bit more context by diving into the resources, by becoming a member of PH Podcasts, getting on that curriculum, going to the applications modules, and then seeing web show number five, going through all the articles, suggested material, and, mo and modules we have listed within the curriculum, it's going to only get a help. All right, guys. Appreciate you guys. Web show six coming next week.